Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. As our climate changes, wildfires become more and more common. So what's the climate impact? So we know that climate change increases the likelihood and severity of wildfires. And as Australia burns on unprecedented early fire season, we look at the climate impacts of wildfires, what all that fire smoke contains inside it, and what is happening to all that charcoal left behind. This week, wildfires and the climate impact. Now, Australia is known for being a place with lots of sunshine, lots of grasslands, beautiful trees, and a pretty warm summer. But that summer came very early this year and on the top of the end of a very large drought that's been going now for many years. All of this means that, well, a lot of the Australian continent is actually primed for a fire. And when any storms come through or sparks happen, fires can rapidly break out. And at the moment, Australia has been suffering through over the last month or longer of a spectacular fire crisis that has burned over 3.7 million hectares or nearly 10 million acres of land and it's led to substantial number of buildings being destroyed over many thousands as well as sadly some lives lost and this is a huge crisis engulfing many different states Queensland, New South Wales, even South Australia now and that's only now in December well you might say well December seems pretty late it's obviously in summer But it's actually quite early for a typical Australian fire season when the hottest and driest portions are usually January, February. We had fires starting in October. Now, that is quite scary to think about and is obviously exacerbated by climate change increasing the severity and likelihood of these large megafires taking place. Another effect of these fires is in fact huge amounts of smoke. When such a large portion of your country is on fire, Uh, It's equivalent to the size of Belgium or Wales, the countries. That's how much of Australia is currently burning. And that means that there's huge areas that have been reduced to ash and also caused a lot of smoke haze. Now, in areas like Sydney, they've been dealing with smoke haze now for weeks. The smoke haze has such a detrimental effect that at times it can, in daylight, block out the sun and make it appear almost dusk-like. So sandy and so thick is the smog, and that is quite unusual for Australian cities. But researchers from Arizona State University have recently published a paper which outlines not just the health impacts for such smoke, which is obviously quite bad, but also what it can be doing for the environment by studying this biomass burning smoke from many large fires from across the world over a long period of time. Now, one of the things that happens when you have a large wildfire and you burn a lot of biomass is that you get this thick smoke. And this thick smoke obviously has visibility and health problems, but it also has a climate implication as well. Now, about a large percentage of this biomass smoke involves aerosol particles, and about 30% of those aerosol mass comes from what are known as tarballs. They're basically some microscopic organic particles. And tarballs are quite dominant in the smoke. They're light-absorbing as a type of aerosol, and therefore they can have a really interesting and significant role on climate change and the climate around that area. And researchers have been trying to study and analyse where these tarballs come from, how they form, and actually condense themselves in the smoke from these large fire events. 
And the researchers investigating this include Koichi Adachi from the Meteorological Research Institute in Tsukaba, Japan, along with researchers from the Department of Energy's Brookhaven National Lab and the Atmospheric Sciences Program. They've recently published a paper in the Proceeding of the National Academy of Sciences, trying to figure out how these spherical tarballs form inside this smoke. Now, what they found is that these tarballs form in the large smoke clouds through a rapid chemical and physical change that occurs inside the organic aerosols present in this smoke. And it happens right at the very start of the smoke production. So just after the burning takes place, as that big smoke plume rises, it undergoes a rapid transformation. And this is quite stunning to understand. And people have been trying to study and figure out these tarballs' presence in smoke since all the way back in 2003, where graduate students and doctoral students Li Jia and Mihaly Posvai first outlined this concept but it's taken a long time to actually figure out how in practice these weird aerosol particles the tarballs end up forming because to do so you actually need to study a fire up close and not the fire itself but the smoke in the atmosphere now to do this you need to get of course the smoke to somehow into an electron microscope to study so you can study the formation in process in real time but that means you actually have to fly through smoke flumes from wildfires and collect all these particles. And that's exactly what this research team coordinated with firefighters to do. In the summer of 2013, across the northwestern United States, there's a large series of wildfires. And so they took a modified research airplane, a Gulfstream 1, and they flew through repeatedly the smoke plumes at different stages after the fire to gather more and more samples. And what they did was actually analyze the shape and composition of more than 10,000 particles from different life cycle stages of a fire to try and observe this transformation in the smoke as the fire burned. Because a lot of complex chemical reactions were in fact taking place. They became a lot more visible once you put them in an X-ray spectroscopy. So what they found is that the the tarballs sort of started off as a small percentage. Over time, they sort of grow and envelop and transform, and most of the smoke has a larger and larger portion of these tarballs inside it. They sort of dominate the aerosol mixture inside the smoke. Over time, their chemical composition changes from being potassium dominant to being nitrogen and oxygen dominant, obviously as a result of the burning of the biomass process. And the particle roundness and size also increase with time as well. So as the fire goes on and the smoke sits there and drifts up, it goes undergoes a chemical transformation. And that is pretty strange to think about because the more and more of these aerosols change, the larger they condense and have larger impact. It means that when we try and have a climate model to understand the impact of these large wildfire events, where let's say an entire continent like Australia could be covered in smoke, that means that there's going to be a significant portion of that smoke having a larger and larger aerosol content which can lead to more and more impacts on the global climate because as we know aerosol composition can play some pretty nasty things to the composition of our own environment so understanding the way smoke behaves and changes over time on a chemical level is very important because it means that when we have our climate models and we as meteorologists start to monitor and predict the way in which smoke clouds will behave and their impact on the environment around them. Knowing that they're also rapidly evolving and changing as a result of the fires that produce them is an important part of the research. 
It's easy to think of a smoke cloud as something static and that will hang around the fire. But as the fires burn in Sydney and Queensland, the smoke can reach all the way down to Melbourne in the south of Australia. And that smoke itself has gone a big journey as well as a large chemical transformation. This paper was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences involving a large multinational team of researchers. We talked about the impact of smoke from wildfires, but there's also another important role that forest or grasslands play in our global climate. And that is, of course, of capturing atmospheric CO2 and sequestering it into the ground. That part of the carbon chain is severely impacted by wildfires. Now, every year, an area equivalent to the size of India is burnt through some kind of wildfire or grass fire. And that is quite significant when you think about all of the CO2 that is not only lost in terms of a storing capacity by those plants disappearing, but also by the CO2 emitted itself as part of the fire. Now, globally, wildfires each year contribute more to carbon dioxide to the atmosphere than road, rail, shipping and air transport combined. So it's quite a significant contributor to global CO2 emissions. And that's why keeping wildfires in check and preventing them from being more and more frequent is quite important because it can obviously lead to a runaway effect where global warming leads to increased temperatures and longer droughts, which means more wildfires, which means more CO2 emitted and thus more global warming. So you can see how it can be a runaway cycle. Now, this part of vegetation burning is quite significant because it emits a lot of CO2 to the atmosphere. But as the burnt out areas regrow, those first shoots start to take hold. That draws CO2 out of the atmosphere, again through photosynthesis. And this is part of the normal fire recovery cycle. Now in grasslands, that can take less than a year for that regrowth to happen. In a typical forest, well, it can take more like a decade or more. But if there's areas of the planet that haven't been burnt before, like the Arctic or boreal or tropical peatland forests, they can take centuries to recover. So that kind of recovery storing of the CO2 that was released as part of the forest fire, capturing it back down as part of the regrowth, that can be much more delayed, especially in some of those new areas that are starting now to burn. So that's not so much good news. But researchers from the Swansea University and Wiesche Universität Amsterdam have recently published in the journal Nature Geosciences about the role of something else that is produced as part of these wildfires. Now, a typical wildfire where it burns the biomass, as we talked about earlier, releases a lot of CO2. Certainly that, that is true. But often a wildfire can also avoid the burning stage of some vegetation and actually just go straight to the forming of charcoal. Now, charcoal is pretty interesting because charcoal can play a really significant role in actually capturing carbon from a wildfire. And it can lock away that carbon into the soil for centuries to come. So in terms of carbon sequestration, the formation of charcoal is actually very, very efficient. Typically, researchers like Dr. Matthew Jones from Swansea University says that CO2 emitted during fires is normally sequestered again as part of the vegetation regrowth. And researchers generally consider wildfires to be carbon neutral events, 
once the full biomass recovery has occurred. In other words, once the entire forest has regrown, well, then it's typically carbon neutral because all that CO2 emitted is then captured again. That is, of course, that that recovery process is allowed to happen and the fire wasn't caused by, say, deforestation where there is no regrowth. But when you look at the role of carbon sequestration through charcoal, it's actually a bit more of an interesting story. In some of the fires, some of the vegetation is not consumed by burning. It actually gets straight transformed into pyrogenic carbon or charcoal. And this is an incredibly carbon-rich material. The thing is that when this pyrogenic carbon is formed or this charcoal is formed, it basically creates an incredibly carbon-rich soil. And that carbon-rich soil can stay on the grounds or flow into the oceans and store and sequester carbon for a very, very long time. It also can create a healthy soil, which is quite good for farming. So these landscape fires that burn across the landscape of, say, Australia or somewhere else, they emit a lot of CO2 in the atmosphere. But they also transfer a significant fraction of the affected vegetation into charcoal and other charred materials. And this actually sucks out a lot of carbon from the atmosphere and just dumps it into the soil, capturing and sequestering it very effectively. And the pyrogenic carbon is equivalent to about 12% of CO2 emissions from the overall fire. And that gives it actually quite a bit of a buffer. It means that not all of the CO2 is just straight away dumped back into the atmosphere. Some portion of it is folded back into the soil itself. So whilst climate change will lead to more and more wildfires, which will lead to more and more atmospheric CO2 emissions from wildfires, it also means more, purely because of the scale of percentage, more of this pyrogenic carbon creation and storage. So the vegetation is allowed to recover in the wildfire burnt out areas. You also end up with this bonus carbon in the soil. So it's carbon taken out of this atmospheric carbon cycle and stored safely in the soils, lakes and oceans, which will then be trapped for centuries to millennia, which actually helps in the long run for the climate. So that part as well is, is good. So although CO2 emissions are rising by human activity, including importantly deforestation, that is a significant risk to the overall global climate. But the natural burning process itself, in and of itself, isn't necessarily bad. And then on the whole, as long as the forest is given time to recover, it can be considered net neutral and also, in some ways, enriching the soil around it. But the problem is, a more drought-affected climate, in areas where forests are cut down and not allowed to regrow, well, that means that these net neutral effects of the wildfires from a carbon dioxide perspective aren't really led to bare fruition because it takes decades for often that process to fully recover. But it does go to show the important role that charcoal has played and will continue to play in capturing some, 12%, of that CO2 emission and storing in the soils and how intrinsically linked our ecosystems can be to processes that do seem like natural disasters and the roles that they help play in recycling carbon through the full carbon cycle. This is some great research from Swansea University, the University of East Anglia, and Vrija University in Amsterdam, published in the journal Nature Geosciences. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From sequestering carbon into the soils through charcoal, as well as the tower balls transformation into fire plumes, what we can learn about the climate impacts of fires. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.